Hey, folks, if you love true stories about extraordinary life experiences, we think you'll love the Risk podcast. Risk is the show where people tell true stories that they never thought they'd dare to share. Stories too uncensored for public radio. On Risk, nothing's too intimate or too strange. Like the one about the guy who gets kidnapped by a drug cartel. Or the girl who discovered she was living with a cannibal. Oof. Or the woman who learned the person she was sharing kinky fantasies with online was her dear old dad. Yuck. You'll hear real people sharing about life experiences so funny. So scary. So mystifying. You won't believe your ears. Find it all at risk-show.com or just search on your podcast app for risk. That's R-I-S-K exclamation point or risk-show.com. And now for our regularly scheduled fucking awesome episode of our own. Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. A tribe Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Tracy Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? What is up? I'm Ellie Einhorn. Welcome to the show. Today I'm joined by... Annie Fell, Associate Editor. And we have a very cool conversation for you today. John Grant in conversation with Jake Shears of Scissor Sisters. Annie, when I heard that John and Jake were huge fans of each other's music and wanted to come on the show to talk, I thought, fuck yes. Hell yeah, as good a reason as any for them to come on. John Grant has been releasing records for about 25 years. First as frontman for the Bella Union Records band The Czars, and then, after their dissolution, solo. In 2018, he released what became one of my favorite records of the year, Love is Magic. As with all of his records, Grant does not shy away from sharing in his songs and in his interviews what he's thinking about, what he's feeling, and what his experiences are. Yeah, he really is kind of an open book. I mean, famously in 2012, he did announce that he's HIV positive while he was performing on stage with Hercules in Love Affair. Right. He has never been afraid of talking about the painful things in his life, whether that's the experience of coming into his own sexuality and the difficulties inherent in that, whether it's his drug addiction or after he got sober, his sex addiction. This is a guy who puts it all out there. I'm expecting to hear a lot more about that in his upcoming memoir. In 2017, John signed with Little Brown. So that should be coming soon. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. In the meantime, we've always got his amazing records. Let's check out the title track from Love is Magic. Love is magic, whether you like it or not. It isn't so tragic, it's just a lie that you bought. When the door opens up for you, don't resist, just walk on. Annie, I just adored that record. And you know who else did? Jake Shears. Yeah, Jake's a big fan. Now, Jake is best known for his time with the New York pop rock legend Scissor Sisters. But after their hiatus in 2012, Shears actually started doing solo work and collaborating on songs with the likes of Erasure's Andy Bell, Calvin Harris, Kylie Minogue, and get this, Elia, Cher. Cher! Can you believe it? It's incredible. Last year, he actually released his own memoir, Boys Keep Swinging, in which he discusses growing up gay, his years with Scissor Sisters, and his relationship with New York. 
And if that's not enough, in August of last year, he also released his first self-titled solo album. And he starred in a lead role in Kinky Boots on Broadway. He really does it all. He does it all. I've got to say, I I got to see Kinky Boots when it first opened. It's a fantastic show. And I can only imagine how well Jake inhabited that role. Oh, I'm sure he's incredible. Let's check out the track Creep City from his self-titled album. Annie, I've always thought Jake was the bee's knees. The man can write a pop song. He really, really can. And what a voice. And as it turns out, John Grant is actually a huge fan of Jake's as well. So it was really great to get to hear them talk art and life and everything else. It really was. And the guys get into a lot here. One theme that really came out is the toll that touring takes on their private lives. We hear about how each lost very important relationships because of it. We hear about the frank honesty in Grant's songwriting as, quote, a reaction to not having been able to be who I was when I was younger. And how a collaboration with Beth Orton brought him back from the brink of throwing in the towel on the music business. Thank God he didn't. Jake tells us about the amazing analogy Anoni shared with him about her songwriting process. We hear about how both have faced and overcome their worst performing nightmares. Oof. And porn. The guys talk about porn. And on a related note, how the world of possibilities offered by the internet can also spell death for creativity. Should we roll it? Let's do it. I can hear something. <laughs> can you, you can hear me okay? I can hear you. I can see you. It's good to see you. It's nice to meet you again. Yeah, you too. Congratulations on your record. It sounds beautiful. Thanks. And likewise. Thank you. Likewise. I've always kind of wanted to, you know, talk to you and hang out with you since the first time we met, which was almost 10 years ago. I know. I just thought about that today and I thought, hey, wait a minute. That's amazing. I remember I was, we were on Jules Holland together. Yeah. Uh, it was, it must have been eight or nine years ago. I'd never heard your music and I, yeah. I had, I had no idea who you were. And, and then uh, it, you, you sang Mars with a piano player mm-hmm. and it just, it, it blew my mind. It really, I feel like I hadn't heard anything that beautiful in such a long time. Wow. And, uh, thank you. And I, I remember when it finished, uh, I was so blown away. And then Jules asked you if you would play it again because they needed to, they needed right. to tape it one more time. Yeah. And I remember getting to listen to it there for a second time. Mm. And uh, I thought it was such an incredible song. And that's how I was introduced to your music and uh, have, have been a, a massive fan. I'm actually kind of nervous talking to you right <laughs> now. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I, I'm a little nervous too, because you know I, I came across your music when you guys were hitting it big as Scissor Sisters. Mm. And so I knew you from Denver when I was still living in Denver before I even went back. Because when did you do your first Scissor Sisters record? Those first songs started coming out in like 2003 or so. And then the album yeah. was 2004. It's a long time ago. Yeah, I can't I believe like, it's that, been that long. It really doesn't... Because your band ended in 2004, yes? Yeah. Yeah, that's so right. 2004, we just, 2005. And then I was sort of on my own. I was sort of trying to do the band thing by myself. And then I sort of... It was really horrible being on the... I remember like the low point for me was being at like this... Hungarian rock festival out in the middle of nowhere with just one other guy and me playing as the czars. And oh God. Um, 
I remember watching the stage mom force her little boy to go on to the stage while this Hungarian rock band was playing and like juggle next to the lead singer. Like, <laughs> this is your chance. Get up there. Juggle. You've got to get up there and juggle. And so this little boy is dressed in a clown outfit. I'm out in the middle of nowhere outside of Budapest and just thinking, what the fuck happened to me? You know, and this poor little boy is up there juggling and the lead singer's looking over at him like, okay, yeah. Was that the moment that you were like, okay, I'm actually gonna, the, the band name is no longer? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't handle it anymore. There was another one too, um... Those festivals, those weird festivals can do it to you. Oh my God. Well, festivals in general, right? I mean, the festival vibe, I mean, obviously there are places where cool things that otherwise would never happen, happen. Like I remember one year I was at the Latitude Festival and I thought I'd had what was the worst show of my career, just having all sorts of problems with monitors. And I came off the stage thinking, there's no fucking way I'm ever going to sing again. You know, I'm never going to play again. I'm never going to sing again. Not, I can't handle it anymore, you know. And, um, and then I had this weird thing with with Beth Orton in the, in the forest, we, I was to go off and she and I were to teach each other one of our songs. So she taught me one of her songs and then I taught her one of my songs. And um, so they, they can be these incredible places, right? Where things happen that otherwise would never happen. But I also find it quite nerve wracking. Yeah. The festival scene. Well, they can kind of be, they can be your worst nightmare too. I mean, yeah. they can be so amazing when everything goes right, but like there's so much opportunity yeah. for failure at a festival, which is nerve wracking. But that's also kind of the fun of showbiz. I mean, I've sort of gotten to like it when things go wrong at shows. Yes. And when stuff goes sideways, it's sort of this fun game where where you have to be like, how much bad stuff can happen on stage and how yeah. long can you go on without letting the audience know Absolutely. <laughs> that you know something is going on. Does that make any sense? I mean, also there are opportunities there because even when you acknowledge them, you know, people remember those things from shows. And if you just put a positive spin on it or you just go with the flow, then people actually, those seem to be some of the best shows, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was in Philadelphia a few weeks ago and we were playing this. It was kind of the Fillmore Philly. So it's like, it's one of those compound places. So there's like a big theater next door. And then yeah. I was kind of playing in the bar area. You know, there's like this little bar club. And uh, I went out on stage and, and I use in-ear monitors and and started playing. And there was just completely different music coming through my... <laughs> yep. My my ears like uh, totally different music, and I, I went on for for like three songs, and it, it was it was wild. And I thought that maybe someone like I had a Spotify playlist right. somewhere that was on that never got turned off, and and it turned out it was this. I was getting the feed from the string cheese incident <laughs> no next <way>. door. <laughs> Holy shit! And I, yeah, and I I had to stop the show and be like, I really have to apologize, but I've got to stop for a second because wow. But it's it's fun when stuff like that happens, I think. But it's it's also fun to like trying to see like how long you can sort of fake it and still put on a good face. I did Broadway last winter and it, it sort of gave me a newfound love of sort of accidents and things going weird on stage. Wow, tell me about that. What was that like? Is that your first time doing that? Yeah, yeah. And it was like super intense, but like it's actually really exciting when something goes wrong because because you have to yeah. work so quick on your feet to make it right and to get through it. You know, either if somebody's going up on their lines or, um, but it makes the show exciting. You know, what what was it that you were doing? I played Charlie Price in Kinky Boots on Broadway for three months last winter. Oh wow! And it was uh, really really fun. It was at this time a year ago. I was just going into rehearsals. Okay. Have you ever done theater? I did in high school and. Um, 
I really actually sort of wanted to go into acting and my teacher, you know, was, was telling me, you know, I would encourage you to go into acting if you wanted to. And my parents were like, no son of ours is going to be in that <laughs> sinful profession. Yeah. You know. What, what, was the, what, was the, what was the kind of plays that you were doing in high school? Well, you know, it's funny. We did something that was really, um, I was surprised that we got away with this, but we did something called Shadowbox. There was this play called Shadowbox and I played uh, one half of a gay couple and one of the guys had, was dying of cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I had to say the word fuck several times on stage. My mother came up to me after the show and she was just looking at me like... <laughs> yeah. She was, How dare you, you know? But I mean, think about it. It's 1986 or 1985. Half of a gay couple, one of us has got dying of cancer. I'm saying fuck all over the place. How did that happen? Like, <laughs> I do not know how we got away with that. Out in the middle of nowhere in Parker, Colorado. Yeah, that's you know? bizarre. Yeah, I, I still can't believe we did that. I mean, <laughs> you this. say I, I feel like you know uh, stuff like that maybe used to happen more back in those days, or maybe it happens less now. I don't know. Yeah, um, there's a strange thing going on where there's this um, like like they say Seinfeld couldn't be done today, you know, and you're thinking, wow. But like every channel is just a hardcore porn channel. How is it possible that Seinfeld wouldn't work today? You know, but there is this weird thing going on where. Um, some of the things that they got away with back then, you can't do today because everything is, um, I don't know, what is it? Is it political correctness or is it, you know, there was, a, there was a sample that I wanted to use on the new record at the end of the song Smug Cunt. Mm. There's this beautiful, beautiful sample from, have you ever seen the movie The Goddess from 1953 with no. Kim, Kim Stanley? I have not. You've got to see that movie. A woman decides she's going to go to Hollywood and become an actress, and it's like a horror story of what can happen to <laughs> Amazing. an actress in Hollywood. What was the sample? Well, the sample was um, her sitting in a car, and she's just had this little outburst, and she says to the guy, boy, I've got a temper, don't I? Um, I'll have to apologize to you for that outburst. I feel these things very deeply. And so I thought that was the perfect ending to Smug Cunt, you know, because mm -hmm. just sort of take the piss out of the rough lyrics of the song. Anyway, I got in touch with Sony, and they wanted six thousand dollars for the for the sample, and then they said, when they saw the title of the song, they were like, "Well, we can't have our company, you know, tied with anything vulgar like this. We feel like this debases our product." And I just thought to myself, "Yeah, because you're in the movie industry, and it's so wholesome. <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you're kidding?" Yeah, it is strange. It's like every channel is becoming more of a hardcore porn channel, and yet you can't say poop. <laughs> you know, it's like this weird dichotomy that's going on. Um, I just completely just brain farted. See, I get I get nervous. Okay. I get nervous like this. I was on the BBC no, no, last week, and I had a basically a stroke live on the air. <laughs> you did? Oh, I did. Yeah, I I completely uh, just like went up on a on a political <laughs> show on the BBC. Oh, that's awesome. I, I just panicked on a, on TV, and it was really frightening. But well, I'm right there with you. So. I know what I was going to talk about. This was my train of thought. Yeah. This is where we were. Okay. Okay. Do you find because you're you're very honest and forthcoming about your life and 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 your yeah. experiences and and also in your music, does that soothe you or does it terrify you? Uh, I find it soothing. I don't cuz I feel like everybody's, you know, everybody thinks they're so fucking mysterious, you know? Mm. It's like Oh, believe me, you're not that mysterious. You know, all the things that you're not saying, you're giving away a lot and I just feel like I think it's a reaction to to not having been able to be who I was when I was younger. 
you know, I had to make myself palatable to those around me. And, you know, I had to change. If I wanted to get into God's kingdom, then I couldn't be gay. And I couldn't be gay out in regular society because that was just a fucking perversion. And so I couldn't be myself in any scenario. And I, that made me sick. It made me depressed and it made me into an alcoholic and a drug addict and a sex addict and whatever else I could get my hands on. Mm. You know, I can't seem to have a decent relationship with anything. And I think it's as a result of, of not being able to face myself and, and deal with who I really was, you know, that in my own music, I've had this reaction of like, I'm just going to tell it like it is. And I'm just going to say what I'm thinking because for me, escape is death. You know, escapism leads to depression, it leads to substance abuse, it leads to all sorts of destructive re- behavior, which even after I got sober from, you know, alcohol and cocaine, I was still indulging in all sorts of destructive sexual behavior, which led to the HIV diagnosis. And so it, it, I just sort of realized, you know, you've, you've got to stop, you know, you've got to stop this. You've got to face whatever it is that you think you're running from, because there's probably not even anything there anymore. So that's why I think, for me, I feel like it's very comforting in the music. And, you know, it's funny because, as you can imagine, you know, people are constantly asking me, don't you feel like it's sort of uncomfortable or sort of cringeworthy what you're doing? And I think to myself, no. I just think immediately, no, it doesn't feel that way at all. Because let's face it, this is everyday reality for everybody. Mm. I feel like everything's appropriate all the time, pretty much in every context, because that's what everyday life is like. So it feels soothing to me. Yeah, I read that there was a there was a possible memoir that you were starting yeah. to write. Have you have you been writing? No, I haven't been writing at all yet. I've just been sort of procrastinating because I was working on this record, and mm. I just wanted to sit with the sounds. You know, I wanted to be in Cornwall in this beautiful setting with all these analog synths, with all these beautiful modular synths, um, just digesting the sounds and letting them. You know, just making up all these sonic canvases yeah. to project lyrics onto later. But I wanted to sit with them. You know how you know how chili and cheesecake are often much better the next day when you let them sit yes. a day or two? You know, I wanted to make sure that when it came to layering the sounds that I was letting each layer sort of be saturated slowly by the next layer and just doing it slowly. I, You know, I did the last record in four weeks and I... I really felt constipated you know, by that yeah. experience. You know, one, one time, Anoni told me, and I'll never forget this. We were talking. This mm-hmm. is 15 years ago, but yeah. she compared songwriting and the way that she writes songs to uh, laying an egg, uh-huh. and and that that she was saying <laughs> it do, it doesn't happen very often. That it just kind of like gestates inside, and then you know, every yeah. once in a while, an egg pops out. Um, yeah. What how what what is your view of of how songs come through? Well, I sort of feel like it's... Um, I watched this great piece on creativity from John Cleese on the mm. on the internet. It's really incredible. It's about sort of the open stance and the off stance. For me, as far as songwriting, for me, I feel like it's just a decision to be open to the possibilities. Like you're putting yourself into the open mode, whereas it's like, no, today I don't feel like writing music. I'm not writing music. I'm not open to the possibilities. It's sort of like this thing is constantly flowing, and you just sort of have to open yourself up to it as like, am I going to notice things today? Or am I going to allow things to affect me today? Am I going to actually take them in and let them penetrate to the next level? Or am I just going to sort of have a close stance where I'm just letting things pass me by? So I feel like songs can be written pretty much any time. It's just a matter of dis- making the decision to be open to the the possibilities. But yeah, I can get stuck sometimes in like, 
Do you have to be happy? Do you have to be? Do you have to be happy to write songs? Do you have to be like content in a certain way? No, I can be miserable. Um, I find it harder to write songs when I'm happy. I think. Really? Yeah. Well, actually, no. I find it. You know, it's hard to say because you know people ask us these questions constantly, right? Like, your what's Mm. your creative process? Mm. And you think to yourself, well, it depends on what day you ask me. Yeah. You know, am I in a good place? Or am I in a bad place? And I, I guess I don't really see anything as being in a bad place, you know, because all the negative shit is just as valid as the positive space. So I suppose that I feel like, you know, even if I'm going through a space where I'm struggling to get out of a, the deep hole of depression because I have underestimated the Icelandic winter yet again, you know, <laughs> um, you know, then that's still for me, I, I still can describe myself as very happy in that situation because I'm, I'm at least awake for the experience. Yeah. You know, I ended up in this scenario a few years. Like, I, I moved to LA probably about six years ago and, and okay. spent like. I thought you were in New Orleans for some I reason. I split my time. <laughs> I moved to New Orleans three years ago. So I split my time now between LA and New Orleans. Okay. But I was, I, I, you know, I, I, was, I was writing and like I just wasn't connecting with anything I was writing. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like I was writing all the time and nothing was gelling and I didn't like any of the songs. And, mm. and for me, what I realized was that the real estate in my brain was taken up by a relationship that had gone bad. My, my marriage yeah. basically had just gone south and I was so mm. preoccupied with it. I was so just like constantly just sort of wallowing in, in that misery that I, I, I was having a really hard time connecting to anything I was, I was making. I, I would right. find myself making music and just not even wanting to to be there really. And, and the minute yeah. that I decided, the minute that I made the decision to turn around and get out of it and to, you know, to make some moves right. was immediately when, you know, I, st- I started writing good songs again and stuff that I, yeah. stuff that I liked. And it was a real kind of lesson in how I operate. I think if I'm preoccupied or if I'm worried or, or if the world is weighing on me too heavily, I have a hard time writing. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I'm not even sure if I, I'm not even sure if I know the answer to that. I mean, I will tell you this, that when, when I'm out walking, I seem to get a lot of ideas. I think when you've got those endorphins going from getting exercise and moving, where I feel very positive about the world, and then ideas do flow very well, freely. Just getting away from the phone for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think our phones are kind of daydream killers. Yeah. And, and there, there is this constant harassment that we have like all day yeah. long. It's like... I don't know. I don't have a kid, but it's it's just like a constant tugging on your on your pants, and it it, <laughs> yeah. it takes you you know it takes you out of it. I've got this jacaranda tree in my in my yard that I I sometimes I'll just leave the phone up here and just go down and sit and look at the tree for fifteen minutes and get like you know your brain starts to fill in the yeah. gaps. But I feel like phones to me, my phone is my worst enemy as far as creativity, and, yeah. and uh, mm. it's it's something that I try to be super conscious of. Do you find that at all? Uh, I find, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say my phone, I'd say it's my computer, but I think it's the same thing. I like the phone for the fact that, you know, whenever words and ideas come into my head that I can just jot them down on that little notepad yeah, in the vo- phone. Yeah, voice memos, I do definitely. love that. Exactly, voicemails. What I usually am doing with my phone is playing Boggle on it <laughs> because I can't afford to allow my sister to beat my ass in Boggle the way she did. <laughs> couple of years ago it was so humiliating that I had, it was like I've been playing Boggle obsessively ever since that beatdown that took place at my sister's house but you know what I turned my sound off on my phone I do ignore it a lot 
And I think it might come from something, I was bitching at my sister, speaking of my sister one day, about the fact that I couldn't get in touch with her. And she said, you know, it's interesting because I feel like my phone is for my convenience, not yours. <laughs> and so- I like that viewpoint. Yeah, I like I it. That's too. a good way to think about it. She's hilarious. But I do find the computer thing, like I, I lose sleep because of my computer. You do, it keeps you up at night. Yeah, because I just want to watch everything. I want to watch everything that I can get my hands on. I want to watch this show and I want to watch that show. And then I want to watch, you know, weird videos on YouTube. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a language freak. So being able to have all these different keyboards, you know, like the Russian keyboard on your phone. Yeah. And, you know, the Spanish keyboard and the German keyboard. And the fact that you can watch the news in all these languages on, on YouTube and you can watch their shows on YouTube in those different languages. It's it's opened up this world of possibilities. It's it's amazing, but it is death to relationships, and I feel like it can really be death to creativity because it just takes up too much space, doesn't it? I agree. And what's your relationship with porn? Yeah. Speaking of being on a computer all night long, I don't watch it very often. No, um, no. But I I mean I have there have gone through periods in my life where I watched a lot of it, and you know wanted to whack off a couple of times a day and. You know, I mentioned the sex addiction thing, so mm. I was quite heavily into you know watching a lot of porn. And when I drop into a hole, it'd be like you know you're like wounding yourself at the end of a of a good day. You know, really getting into the porn. But I started sort of dealing with that as well a couple of years ago, and I don't I don't watch it very often anymore. But I still I still go back sometimes. I mean, it's it really can like I, I do think it affects relationships, and and I'm single at the moment, and it's like yeah. you know I don't know it can sort of make you lazy, and it, it makes me lazy in a way sometimes. Yeah, I think it's I think it can be a real intimacy killer. Yeah, you know because I find that like lying next to somebody and actually being naked with them, and not doing anything and just sort of being with somebody, like being naked with them and sort of taking them in and actually being present in the moment, in the foreplay, and in the process of actually having sex with somebody, I, you can't believe how hard it was for me to get back. In fact, I'm still, I still struggle with it. Beca and I feel like that all comes from the fact that I was using porn, mm. you know, just to make it easy on myself. You don't have to be intimate with somebody. You know, you can get exactly what you want anytime you want. You don't have to interact with somebody. You don't have to, you know, think about what it feels like when somebody's touching your skin and, and actually be present with them in the moment. And, you know, where, where the goal is not just to have an orgasm, but to actually be with somebody and enjoy them and, and to give them pleasure as well. So I find that the more I get away from porn, the, more, the easier it is for me to enter into that type of intimacy with somebody, which for me is... It's what I want, you know? I'm not in a relationship either, but I feel like it can be a real intimacy killer. And it's, I feel like it's stolen a lot from me just because I was letting it fill up all this space, you know? I mean, would you even classify like, you know, I feel like when, when we get on Instagram sometimes, I mean, I, I really do my best to like, I've gotten very conscious about just the scroll of just like super hot guys and skin and like, mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like that to me is also really affects me and, Absolutely. and speaks to my insecurities and, uh, and I yeah. kind of think back on like the impact that that's had on me and what I've done to my own body in the last 10 years and, uh, mm -hmm. and sort of what that's taken from me. I think about that a lot. Yeah. And I think Instagram kind of that, that parade to me, it almost counts for porn too. Oh yeah. Uh, every bit of it counts. 
I mean, uh, you know, I can use Facebook that way too. I can use the JCPenney catalog that way as well. (laughs) It doesn't really, I can use whatever is available to me, you know? Um, So yeah, I I think this this thing about, you know, getting into thinking about intimacy and all that stuff, I think it's important. I think it's good. These questions are very, very good. How do we date people? I don't know. I mean, I've never dated but I mean, you've got life. you've gotten into. I mean, I think you and I are probably both in a very similar boat, where it's tough to forge relationships at certain times. Because I, I'm sure you are probably yeah. as all over the place as I am. I mean, I am, I am just not in yeah, one yeah. place for two weeks at a time. Well, that's the thing. That's another huge thing. I think this last relationship that I just got out of, and I didn't want it to end. I thought it was going to be forever. Basically, what happened was I think that my career and the schedules that I was subjecting myself to by choice were making it impossible for me to have a healthy relationship with this person. I mean, when we were together, it was good, but the downtime that I would need when I came home from being out, because I don't know if you're like me, but when I come home from being out on tour for a long time, I don't want to be talked to and I don't want to be touched. And that's not fair to them because they've been waiting around for you. You know, they've been without you for all this time. So it made it very difficult um, for me. And I really feel like in the end, it sort of cost me that relationship, you know, this career that I choose to do. I, I mean, I think it cost me mine in a certain way. I mean, I was with somebody yeah. for 11 years and I think, I mean, I, I definitely yeah. think like overall it's kind of the... It's a long time. The downfall of it. Yeah. And actually I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I've been thinking about, you can always comfort yourself by, you know, the effect that you see that your music is having out there. When people come up to you and tell you what your music means to them, I'm sure you get letters all the time where people are telling you yeah. that it's an, incre- an incredible f- thing for them to have your music and what it means to them. And I think that's really great. And we can use that to some extent to encourage ourselves. On the other hand, I think I think a lot of times I also need to say, but what price am I paying? <laughs> you know? Yeah. What you know, what is it taking away from me? Because I want to have a private life too. Yeah. You know, I don't want to just come home from tour and lie in bed for four days or five days and then go to the airport again. Yeah. You know, and there's nobody there. There's nobody there because you're just you're not available to them whether you're there or not there. Yeah. You know? I think it's a common thing to face depression when you're done. There, you know, there's this kind of discouragement yeah. that you feel a lot of times when you get off the road, and mm-hmm. and and it is those yeah. those moments with people when they tell you how much, you know, how much you mean to them, how much your music means to them. It's kind of like when I yeah. feel like throwing in the towel, which is you know yeah, yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about those moments, and I think about. Mm. But yeah, I yeah, mean, do you, you think- ever do you ever just want to just quit? Because <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I find myself like, I don't know, pretty often just being like, God, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? Yeah. What yeah, is yeah. your, what is your, yeah, why are you doing this? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I can answer that question. I, I'm, I'm not sure to what extent I can be honest with myself about, you know, the answer to that question. I mean, when I was younger, I'm sure that I, I wanted to be acknowledged. I think I wanted to have fame and I wanted to have money. Mm. When I was, you know, when I started out in my band a long time ago, you know, when I got sober, I moved to New York and I thought, I'm not going to, I'm, you know, this music thing isn't working out. And I was waiting tables again and I was starting to work as an interpreter at the hospital and going into the language thing. And I mean, if you stay in this profession, your, your false motives will be burnt out of you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you continue to stick around because yeah. you can't keep showing up with the wrong motives because you you just, it kills you. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. I do this just because, I mean, I do love writing songs. I love recording. I yeah. love making an album. 
Um, and you're great at it too. And that, well, that's, that's, a, that's a big factor. Thank you. And I, I love doing it. And I love getting up on stage and you know, just getting to perform and play a concert for people. And it's this, it's this great blend of losing your mind and then a- having complete control at the same time. Yeah. I love the feeling of performing. And what, what goes on when you go out on stage? What goes through your, your head? What are you looking at in an audience? What happens on your first song? Then what are you doing on your second song? You know, what's your kind of philosophy when you're starting a show? Tell me about what you go through as you play a show and the feeling. What, what goes on in your head? Well, as you know, it can be many different things. I mean, there's, there's those nights where I become really distracted and I have a really hard time concentrating on the songs because of the thoughts that are going through my head during the songs. Yes. And, and those, are, those are very difficult performances because you have to compensate to such an extent to keep doing what you're doing while your brain is split in half and you're thinking about this other thing. Um, those are really exhausting. But then that doesn't happen very often. And most of the time... I'm just doing my best to inhabit the songs and connect with the audience. Mm. And a lot of times I find myself fighting with all these voices that are saying, oh, you should say something now, or now it's time for you to say something witty, or you should be saying this, or you need to do this and you need to do that. And I try and ignore that voice as much as possible and simply just be there with the people and look at them, look into their eyes. But you know, a lot of times... When I'm playing songs, I try and look at the audience because I want to show, you know, I'm here with you in this moment and I see you. And I mean, I think that's it. I think it's imperative. It's so important. Yes. What were you going to say, though? Well, I was going to say that a lot of times I forget the words and, <laughs> and forget what chord I was playing when I do that, when I look out, because I'll, you know, and, 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 you know, inevitably I'll see some good looking guy out in the audience. Oh, my and God. I'll, I he'll, do the he'll same He'll catch thing. my eye and I'll just be, and I'll forget my lyrics and, and then I'll play the wrong chord. And then a lot of times I forget my favorite worst thing that happens to me on stage that I find so humiliating is that when I get so into the song that I forget about the microphone and I hit my head on it <laughs> while I'm playing at the piano. So embarrassing. I gave myself a fat lip a couple weeks ago. I think it's I stepped hilarious. on a mic stand and it just whacked me right in the... Like the old the stepping f- on the rake in the cartoons totally. and the Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a classic just favorite. whacked me in the face. But no, I, I do the same thing when, when I'm... Sometimes, you know, you just end up focusing on that. You could have 999 people standing there just soaking it all up and just loving you. And then you can spot yeah. the, one, the one girl on her cell phone. You know, exactly. text, texting somebody. Totally. <laughs> and it's just like, or you know, I always, I always seem to look out at some guy who's standing there yawning and looking at his watch. You know? Why is it that uh, so many people that come up to the very front? Yeah. You know that 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 the, they get there first. Yeah. Uh, to be right at the front of the show. Why are they always the most bored-looking people? <laughs> Not, yeah, they I wanna, just. Act I don't like want to say they, always, yeah. but there's so many. There, there. A lot of them look really bored. And tortured, yes. Tortured. And, <laughs> and just like, like <laughs> you know what I try and do in those moments? I just think, I look at my band and I, and I concentrate on my band and I just, a lot of times I'll look over at Budgie and think, why is the drummer from Susie and the Banshees on this fucking stage with <laughs> yeah. me? And I'll just get off on that because watching him play is, is enough to sort of get me back into the groove when I'm, you know, looking out at the yawners or whatever. You know, for for years, like after after I'd found kind of success in music and and yeah. and all that anxiety that creeps in after that, and all that depression and the bad dreams, I you know, and I'm sure I'm sure yeah. you have you know these are pretty common dreams, but those mm. those nights that you that that you you dream that you're playing a show and people are just kind of like 
are just leaving in droves, you know? And yeah. You're, and you're like, <laughs> it's like, like, hey, there weren't even that many people here. How can they still yeah, be leaving? And there's just, there's just, <laughs> you, you'd look up and there's just a couple people there. You come out and there's nobody there. And yeah. about a year and a half ago when I was first playing the, this new album, I was going through the South. We played in Nashville and, and New mm-hmm. Orleans and Birmingham, Alabama. And, uh, oh, cool. And we were going out on stage and my, one of my best friends, Tex, was with me. And he, he pulled me aside before we were going out. And he was like, mm-hmm. sister, I got to talk to you for a second. And I was like, what, what's up? <laughs> and he's like, he just starts laughing. And he's like, there's nobody out there. And I was like, nobody? <laughs> he goes, well, he's like, maybe like eight or nine people. <laughs> Really? Yeah. And and you know, and that was always my worst fear. That was yeah. my worst worst nightmare. And I it felt so good to yes. laugh about it and it felt so good. Yeah. It was one of my favorite shows I've ever gotten to play. Oh, that's amazing. And and it just like it like that doesn't scare me anymore. Yeah. That's such an amazing experience to have. I had that at Glastonbury two years ago where I totally lost my voice after the fourth song. And, you know, there's 10,000 people, 15,000 people standing there. And uh, my backup singers and the audience just took over for me and did the lyrics for me. And it was, you know, it's, it's my worst nightmare and it happened. And, you know, people were saying... Great show, and I was like, "What? <laughs> Were you at the same? <laughs> was you at the same show I was at?" It is really frightening, actually, when you really can't sing and have to go out. It's, it it's is. a scary. It's a scary, scary moment. But I've really tried to like done my my best to just kind of laugh it off. Yeah, um, and know. that's exactly what you should do because, I mean, who gives a shit? You know, you know, with when I when I feel like I really fucked up a song. On stage, yeah, yeah, you know, and that certainly happens from time to time. And I hate that feeling. Yeah, and um, somebody told me once they were like, every new song, every beginning of every new song is a new opportunity. So if I feel like I've lost the audience, I just start from zero again at the next song, and I'd say ninety nine percent of the time I'm able to just quickly come out of that and, yeah. and reconnect. Yeah, you know, it's so it's like you're saying, you know, a lot of these things that have always been our worst fears. They're just, it's always smoke and mirrors, you know? Even if somebody gets up on stage and shoots me in the head, you know, at least it'll be over, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> I, you know, I just think there's really nothing, you know, what can they do? There's just nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a funny little life we've got, isn't yeah. it? Isn't it? Aren't we fortunate? It's strange, yeah. And I think I've always looked at you as somebody, I just feel a lot of commonality with you in certain ways mm. and, and just also in the musical styles that, that we like. There's, I, just, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of common ground and, and it's, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you just because I've, oh, you too. I've always been such a big fan. And I always, well, thank you. I, I had a, about a month ago, a really good friend of mine passed away and, uh, and I had just... Oh, sorry to hear that. It was... I just basically went through a bottle of tequila by myself and was just listening to Dolly Parton spirituals and and weeping all day long. And finally at around maybe one or two in the morning, I sort of came out of it and realized that your new record was out. (laughs) And I put it on and it was just so, it made me so happy listening to it. And I listened to the whole thing from top to bottom 
And uh, I was just laughing and uh, it just, it really brought me a lot of, of joy in that moment. It was, it was a real pleasure. And that's when I, I sent you, I sent you a tweet that night uh, that I was just like, this yes. record is, is amazing. Yeah. It's so funny. It really is funny. Oh. And uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And it just, it, it your music really uh, makes me, makes me happy. So thank you for that. No, thank you so much, Jake. That's amazing to hear. Well, you know, I just started getting into your new record. I just bought it not too long ago. And um, it sounds like you're in your peak top form. Thanks. It's really amazing. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. I'm real proud of it. It 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 was a, a, yeah, you it should a be. real kind of labor of love and, and I'm I'm excited to, you know, I just wanna I just wanna keep going, you know, I just wanna keep huffing yeah. it. And I I think my dream is to make the music I wanna make how I wanna make it. Well, it sounds like you're doing that. I mean, the record is, it's really uplifting. You've got 12 songs on there and it doesn't sound like there's any, it doesn't let up, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's I, really I, beautiful. Thank so. you very much. Thank you. And yeah. um, I'd really love to hang out in LA. I would I'm love that too. Out there. I'll, I'll be at your show and I'll come give you a big hug and, uh, yeah. and it would be awesome to, yeah, I would love to hang out. Okay. Uh, this has been really uplifting for me, Jake. Really, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And yeah. uh, and have a great kickoff of your tour. And, um, oh, and thank you. I'll be seeing you here in Los Angeles. All right, All right. cool. Mwah. Bye. All right, bye. Mwah. Bye. John Grant, Jake Shears, thank you so much for joining us here on the TalkHouse podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you check out Jake's writing for the site, including pieces on LaRue and ministry. Jake Shears was recorded at his home in LA by Ali Niku, and John Grant was recorded by our co-producer Mark Yoshizumi at Hook and Fade Studios in Brooklyn. The TalkHouse podcast theme song was composed and performed by The Range. You can also check out new episodes of the TalkHouse podcast and some of our past favorites on Spotify. While you're there, follow the TalkHouse. That way you'll make sure to catch all the future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. At TalkHouse. Till next week, I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Annie Fell. Peace. Bye.